Father, you gave us a, just a beautiful phrase there with, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And as people, we ask for your forgiveness because all too often we're afraid. I'm afraid. And when you put me out on a mission or put something very clear in my heart that I'm to go and to do, God, that there's this fear in me that I myself am not going to have the strength or the know-it-all or the whatever to complete the task, God. But you remind us that you didn't call us to go and to simply do. You just called us to be willing to go and to be obedient. And so this morning, as we continue to talk about the Great Commission, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts in the way that we need to hear you. That you would help us to remember that you are with us to the end of the age, and that's forever. And so, God, encourage our hearts this morning as we worship you. We just we thank you so much for the privilege we have to worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is a good morning to worship God. I, I know that I've been talking to a lot of folks who have been down at the Festival of Hope uh, with Franklin Graham, and there's been thousands of people who have come forward to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and there is an opportunity this afternoon, and I want to be very clear, it's not 4.30, it's actually 4 o'clock that that time will be kicking off. So if you're going to head down, take somebody with you. It's going to kick off at 4 o'clock. Charlie Daniels is going to be there. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be good. And, and it's exciting because we're seeing something come through the city of Pittsburgh um, that's just awesome. And that's tremendous amounts of people coming to know the Lord. And as we've been talking the past few weeks, we've been talking about the Great Commission. We've been talking about this mission that God has sent us on. And it's a very simple message, a simple mission, and it's to simply go and make disciples. And as we've been talking, we want to make sure that we come back to these three things. That we're, that we're called to go because Jesus has the authority. If you remember, we said this breaks down into three statements. The authoritative statement of Jesus when he made the claim, I am God. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples, which is our second part of the Great Commission. The second part being the actual commission itself, to go and to make disciples. Now, I'm going to pause for a minute in case you haven't been here. I want to bring you up to speed that Jesus did not simply say, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. A few weeks ago, we focused on the fact that conversion into Christianity, conversion into your faith, is not the aha moment where you arrive. It's the beginning of the most epic thing that you will ever partake in. Because you move from being a convert into being a disciple. And, and, I, and I hope you know this, but a disciple is actually somebody who is a learner. The Greek word in the disciple means to be a learner. You're a student. You're someone who is gaining in their knowledge. And so once you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's just not chill time. You haven't arrived. You've now moved into the most fun part of this journey. And so when I think about all these people that came forward over the last two nights down in Pittsburgh who've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, the journey has just begun for them. And I think about the people that they came with. Who brought this man that just accepted Jesus? Well, listen to me, brothers and sisters in Christ. When someone converts to Christianity, that's when we, as fellow disciples and apostles, have a responsibility to come alongside of them. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus doesn't say, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. 
And if more and more of us as believers would just put a target on one person to pray for, and then when that person accepts Jesus, we don't go, okay, hit that mark, let's go find another one. If more and more of us would simply find that one person, lead them to the throne of grace when Christ just explodes in their life and they come to know Jesus, and if we wouldn't stop there and we would continue to walk with these people, we would see the kingdom of God explode on this earth in an exponential way, just like that copier. When Jesus said, go and make converts, it wasn't a mistake. It's not an interpretational error. He wants us to walk side by side. Last week in our scripture, we we read about how Jesus sent out the 72. How did he send them out? He sent them out two by two. This isn't a lone ranger sport here, folks. God doesn't desire for us to come to know Him and learn everything that we can about Him and then die with that knowledge in isolation. Because of fear of someone rejecting us. When Christ called us, just like He called the disciples along the Sea of Galilee, He said, leave your nets and follow Me. But the disciples didn't hang onto their nets and pull them along. They left everything and they followed Jesus. And as they followed Jesus, they learned Jesus. They had a relationship with Jesus. And so they were disciples because they were learning But see, as the disciples were learning, they didn't just simply watch and spectate. But they got their hands in the game. Do you know what the word apostle means? Some of you know the answer to this. The word apostle means messenger. So the disciples, as we talked about, went from converts. They jumped on the team. They went from converts to disciples. They went from disciples, learners, to apostles, ones with a message. And so the question I have for you as a church, have you moved from the place of convert to disciple to messenger, to apostle? Because as believers, we're called by God in the Great Commission to take the message that we have been given and to share that good news with other people. Isn't that cool? Hey, I'm going to save you from hell. I'm going to give you life, and all I want you to do is talk about it. That's what Jesus says to us right here. He wants us to go out and be his messengers. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew 28. We're going to just read this. We'll start in verse 18. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So you see, the disciples are commanded by God, commanded by Christ to go and to teach. So as believers, we have a responsibility to grow in our knowledge and the understanding of the Lord. Everybody see that? And what I want to encourage you is, If you come to church on Sunday morning and you expect to this to be the only time where you're growing in your knowledge and understanding of the Lord, you're going to miss out. Because the reality of it is, as Brad said earlier, this isn't Christian karaoke hour. This isn't come, let's go sit in the pews and be fed. No, this is your time to bring yourself to church, to offer yourself as a gift to God. This is not about us this morning. This is about worshiping Him. And when Jesus sent out the 72, he sent them out in pairs. Jesus didn't call one disciple. He didn't call 50 million disciples. He called 12. Jesus was about small groups. 
And the reality of it is, Christian, is we need one another. I need men like David Sad in my life who will come and pray with me. I need people in my life like my wife who will challenge me when I'm being a knucklehead. That never really happens, but just hypothetically. We need other believers in our lives to sharpen us. Proverbs talks about something about iron sharpening iron, so man, one man sharpens another. You know, it's somewhere in there. We are not created to be isolationists with the best news in the world to simply sit on it and die with it. We're called by Christ to go and to be a part of one another's lives and make disciples. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Acts with me real quick. Acts 2. Just to give you a little background real quick, in the book of Acts, there's this great passage, Acts 2, verse 42, where it talks about the the fellowship of believers and, and how these folks went about church. Okay, you ready for this? It says this in 2.42 of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to teaching. They were continuing to become disciples. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Do you know what that means? As Christians, we're supposed to try to like each other. We're supposed to hang out together. Do you know when you go over to a, a brother or sister's in Christ's house and you hang out and you don't do anything except for maybe watch football? Do you know God is glorified by that? Do you know that when you sit around and you scrapbook as believers together and you just talk about life, that's growing together, that God actually delights when his people delight in being together with one another? Because again, as I say it all the time, we're going to be in heaven for eternity with one another. We should try to start getting along now. He desires for us to be in community with one another. I need other men to be in the life of my son. I'm not going to be the only voice in his life. I need you guys to speak God, to speak Christ into his life. Just as you need other people in your life because we're not created to be isolationists. They, did, they got together, they broke bread, and they got together and they prayed. I'm going to tell you right now, as believers, we are called to pray for one another. We are called to pray for the most ridiculous things, for the most serious of things. We're called to pray and praise God and everything that he's doing. And so the question I have for you, church, disciple, apostle, new convert, are you praying? Are you praying? Because we have a mission. The first part of it is the authoritative statement of Jesus. He says, all authority has been given unto me for the mission part of the statement, which is go and make disciples. And then he gives us this third promise that makes everything in the world okay. As scary as the moment in your life that you are in right now, you may feel like you're in a nightmare. You may be struggling with a disease or a sickness. You may have something going on that doesn't seem bearable. Let me tell you what Jesus said to his disciples. Think about what they're being faced with. Hey, I'm the savior of mankind. I am the son of God. And now I'm leaving you in charge. Can you imagine what they must have felt like? Like, holy cow. How are we ever going to deal with this? But Jesus says these words to them. At the end of the Great Commission, he says, if you have your Bible, you can turn back to Matthew 28. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you know how long that is? To put it in a way, forever. He is with us forever. When, when Adam was created, God was there. When he pulled Eve out of his side, God was there. 
When Jacob heard the voice of God, God said, I am with you. When Joshua marched on Jericho, God was there. When Moses crossed the Red Sea, God was there. When there were three wise men looking at a star saying, I'm going to go find a Savior, God was there. When you were knit together in your mother's womb, God was there. When God placed the hairs or the lack thereof on your head, He knew how many there were because He was there. God is there in your darkest moments. He's there in your brightest moments. The problem is, is sometimes we want to push Him out. Sometimes we don't want to reach out and grab a hold of Him. But I assure you this, because Jesus said so, and I believe it. He said, I am with you always. That is really hard to remember sometimes, isn't it, church? Because as believers, as apostles and as disciples, sometimes we, we forget that. And, and I love the opening part of the, of the Great Commission because it says this in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him and worshipped him, some doubted. These guys were just like you and me. They were knucklehead fishermen who probably weren't, you know, didn't have a theology degree. In fact, I have more theological stuff in my hand than they had access to. You know, we're more well-equipped today than the whole of history with our availability of knowledge. You do realize that, right? They were knuckleheads. You're a knucklehead. I'm a knucklehead. I mean, I know that some of you have this image of me, but I hate to tell you, I'm human and I'm, I'm messed up and, and, and so are you. We're all messed up. But you know what's amazing is that is who Jesus wants to use. That is who Jesus loves because, you see, he took a group of guys. Some of these guys had walked with Jesus. They watched him heal people. Lazarus, get up from the dead. And Lazarus came out from the dead. They were there, but they still doubted. We have doubts, don't we? We have fears, don't we? Well, church, let me tell you this. It's okay to have doubts, and it's okay to have fear. You just have to keep reading the sentence because at the very end, he says, I am with you. And when we remember that he is with us, amazing things happen. You know, I I hear a lot from people that I can't share my faith because I I don't know enough about my faith or or I can't go and talk about God because, because you know, I don't have a seminary degree or I'm not, you know, I've only read a book in the Bible. Let me share something with you. One of the most amazing men I ever met in my entire life was back in 1998. And it was a man, and some of you have heard this story before, by the name of Satan Lee. It's S-E-T-A-N Lee. He's a Cambodian national who was 17 years old in 1975 when the Khmer Rouge took power in that region of the world. There was a guy named Pol Pot. He was doing all kinds of bad things to a lot of people. In fact, if you were an educated person or you had any kind of credentials or, or you were somebody that, that was influential in the community, a way of controlling you was they just would simply kill you. I mean, that works, right? If you got a problem, just kill the person and then the problem will go away. And so what the Khmer Rouge would do is they began to round up all the educated people. And you see my friend Satan Lee, who I got to meet back at Geneva, he said that he, um, he uh, was rounded up by this death squad. And so what ends up happening is Satan Lee, this 17-year-old medical student, finds himself now in a situation where he's looking death right in the face. 
He's in this death camp where he's starved and it's slave labor and they're forced to do things and they're forced to work and, and he was starving to death and he tells the story about this little girl for there was a thousand youth, he says, that would, would be together and they, they kept the girls and the, and the boys separate but they let them be close enough so that they could see what's going on to each other in this death camp. And Satan Lee had fallen and he was starving to death. He had nothing to eat. He was whittling away to nothing. And he said there was a little girl who, who he would just have conversations with, with no words, just by looking at one another. And he said she grabbed a mud crab out of the ground. And when she thought nobody was looking, she tossed it to him. Well, the consequence was pretty steep for that. Because as Satan Lee ate the mud crab, there was a female guard by the name of Ur who came by And as the price for that little crab, they made Satan Lee watch as they atrociously did things to her and killed her. I remember when Satan was sharing this story, he he was weeping and talked about the anger and the hate and the rage that was brewing up in him. Then came the day when he was lined up with a group of about five, six, seven other people. He said there were two or three people on either side of him and they were put with blindfolds They were then put to their knees. And as they were on their knees, he remembers the guard. He's seen this happen a hundred times, but he'd never been a part of it. But he would remember that the guard would just randomly pick out people and they would kill everybody. But they would, in a cruel way, put blanks and they would shoot and they would scare you. And Satan Lee says he remembers he would hear a bang. And then he would feel the life leaving someone next to him. And bang he would hear another body fall. In a moment, he cried out. He had been a Buddhist. He knew that there were spiritual things. He he had heard about all this spirituality, but something in his heart became alive. And he cried out verbally. He said, I don't know who you are, but whoever you are, you unknown God of the universe, if you will spare me now, I will forever give my life to sharing, telling everybody about you. Please spare me. And at that, he heard the loudest bang he had ever heard in his life. Lights out. It's quiet. And he's laying there. And he says the next thing he remembered is he remembered laying in the mud on his side And there was absolute silence, a silence that he hadn't heard in a very long time. He remembers moving his hands to find that the bondage that he was in was now broken. But out of fear, he laid there for over two hours because he wasn't sure if they were just playing a cruel game on him. Maybe he had been hit upside the head and they were just messing with him. So he laid there for two hours. And after two hours, he finally grew enough courage to pull from his eyes the blindfold that was keeping him from seeing the truth. And the truth was that a stray artillery round had landed right behind him and killed everybody except for him. He was the last inmate alive at that moment in that area. All the guards were killed. And he says, in his words, this unknown God set me free. He began to run, as any one of us would do. He ran through the jungle. And he says there was this moment where he was running through the jungle that, that something, like, he just never saw it coming, but something came out of nowhere and, and like a, just a, a rock force hit him. And, and there was a man running at the same speed he was. And they collided into each other. And Satan began to refer to this man as the jungle man. He said, this jungle man knocked me down. And he says, when we came to our senses and realized that neither of us was an enemy, we grabbed hands and this man looked me 
me in the eyes and he said, do you want to know the unknown God of the universe? Satan Lee says, yes, I do. He just saved me. Imagine who he runs into is an escaped American chaplain in the middle of the jungle who in a moment couldn't get anything out except for, do you want to know the unknown God of the universe? The Bible says something about we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. There's a reason for that. Satan Lee meets with this man, confesses his life to Christ, and puts a name to the unknown God. Satan Lee looks at his battle-torn Bible that belonged to the chaplain. He says, I I want some of that. Can you give me that? The chaplain said, there's still work to be done, but here, and rips a couple pages out of his Bible. And you're never going to believe what section of scripture he hands to Satan Lee. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations and I am with you to the end of the age. Satan Lee is a 10-minute old Christian at this point and says, this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. They part ways. They begin to wander the jungle. Satan Lee tries to go and find his family to find out that they've all been executed. He ends up finding himself in a concentration, or not a concentration camp, excuse me, a refugee camp, a refugee center that is set up. Hundreds of thousands of people locked, just, just set aside because they, they've been displaced. There's nowhere to go. Satan Lee walks in and he begins to tell people about Jesus. Let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you about this Jesus. And he begins to share about his experience with the unknown God of the universe. At one moment, he tells, again, this, this is so unreal, isn't it? He says that as he's walking through, he runs in to the lady, Ur, who killed his friend. And he said, there was something amazing that took over my body. He said, because all I could think about was killing her. And he said, I began to walk towards her with the intentions in my heart to kill her. And he says, but when I got there, the only thing that I could utter out of my mouth was, I forgive you because I have been spared and God loves you. And he led Ur to Christ. At the end of the day, you may not believe this, 35,000 Cambodians came to know Christ. And I want to say this. What degree did Satan Lee had? He had the knowledge of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and he had a relationship with him because God didn't say, I want you to go do this, Satan. He said, I'm going to do it through you. And if we're obedient to God like that military chaplain, that chaplain could have done anything in that moment. But he utters those words and he stayed true to the mission. He never knew what kind of impact Satan Lee would have. 35,000 people in a day come to know the Lord. He doesn't stop there. He begins to share the gospel to the point where the Khmer Rouge have put a hit out on his head and they have made him their public enemy number one because he's causing such a disturbance in our nation. So as Vietnam diluted and went away, Satan Lee couldn't stay there. He had to come to the United States as a refugee, a political refugee, where he then went to school. He's a Presbyterian pastor today here in the United States. He's got a fantastic organization called Transform Asia. Clever name. I challenge you to go to the website, check it out. But Satan Lee didn't stop there because God called him to a mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so Satan Lee, as he was living his life, felt this calling to God in the, in the late 80s and early 90s. God said, I want you to go back to your people. 
And I want you to preach. And Satan Lee said, no, they'll kill me as soon as I step off the plane. And he began to share with his wife and his children now about what God was calling him to. And, and he would fight his calling saying, God, I'm not prepared for this. God, I'm not ready for this. And God continued to say to him, I want you to go back to your people and preach. And so he went back to Cambodia. And the moment that he stepped off the airplane, he was surrounded by a couple hundred troops and arrested and thrown into a prison cell. For the first couple of weeks, first couple of days, He just kind of went with it, worked on his sermons, prepared his messages. About the second weekend, he began to have doubts. He began to have questions. Was I really hearing from God? Was I I really trusting in the Lord? And and so after months of being locked away, Satan Lee finally came to this breaking point with God where he he says, I had a verbal argument with God in front of my wife, and he said, this is how it went. He said, there I am in my prison cell. There's, there's couches, there's chairs, there's a mirror here, and, and there's just a toilet over here. We were trapped in this little thing, my wife and I. And he looked up at the heaven and he said, God, you called me back to preach to my people. I have been obedient. I have followed your words. So here I am. I've got months worth of material and nobody to preach to. And he said, God, if, if you're serious about this, he's like, you know what? And he says this despite God. These are his words. He said, then I'll, I'll preach to the walls if you want me to. And so for a month, Satan Lee, in spite of God, just gives this awesome set of sermons about Christ and about creation, about fall and sin, and and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the walls, and every day, kind of in a mocking way, saying, okay, God, what are you doing? And one day, he gets a knock on his cell door. He says, what are they knocking for? And the door swings open, and on the other side, was a bunch of guards with a tape recorder. And they said, we've been listening to everything that you and your wife have been saying for months, and we need to know how do we find this Jesus. And hundreds and hundreds of these prison guards came to know Christ because of some knucklehead's willingness to preach to the walls. I don't care how God's plan looks to you. He has a purpose. You can clap for that. That's good. That's right. Let me say this. Satan Lee, hundreds of people came to know Christ, and because of those hundred people, thousands and thousands of more people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And do you know that what's going on in Asia right now comes back to the jungle man's encounter with Satan Lee? He's one of the guys that has started a reformation, a, a transformation in Asia. And and so again, I ask you this question, church. We say we're not equipped. We say we don't know enough. We say, well, how are we going to ever share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with them? Because if you have a relationship with them, that's all you need. That's all you need. The other stuff is good, and we're to be dedicated to growing in our understanding and knowledge of the Lord. But if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are an apostle, and you have a message to bring. And I don't care if he tells you to preach it to the walls. You better preach it to the walls, because if that's your mission, people will come to know him. Where is Christ and the Christian faith growing the most right now in our, na- in our world? In Asia. Think about that. What is the ridiculous thing that you're called to? Who is it that God wants you to share the good message with? God doesn't put random encounters in our life. There's no such thing as chance. You get that, right? I'm a hockey player. I get the whole luck conversation, but there's no such thing as luck. There's only divine providence. 
And God puts people in your life for you to have influence over, for you to disciple, for you to convey the message that surely he is with us from now until the very end of the age. I've talked with a lot of you who've taken that step in faith and you've called me and said, I shared Christ with this person and now they want to accept Jesus. Thank you for having that courage. Look, you're not ever going to be good enough. I'm not ever going to be good enough. We're never going to fully understand this book. We're never going to have enough knowledge, but we do have this knowledge that we're to go and make disciples. And it's not going to be in our power. It's going to be in his power. You get that, church? Isn't that exciting? It takes a lot of pressure off of us. I'm a messed up individual. I have terrible grammar. I can't even write paragraphs correctly. But that doesn't matter because God will still use me. God will take all the dysfunctions of me and he will do amazing things. Not not because, hey, look how cool Jamie is, but look how good God is. And God will do that in your life. You just need to let go and surrender to him. And and you say, well, how do I know that God's calling me to something? Read the scriptures. If God's calling you to something, it'll be backed up by scriptures. Ask other believers in your life. This is one of the reasons we need one another. If God is calling you to something, ask someone to be praying for that and to affirm that in their life as well. And if God's calling you to something, pray it out until there's no doubt. Do you hear me? Just pray, just pray, just pray. I know that sounds like the ultimate Sunday school answer, but man, I believe in prayer, and it works. It really does. Because I have a God who made a promise to me at the end of the Great Commission when he said, surely I am with you from now till the end of the day. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? Stand up. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are so excited that you have given us the opportunity and privilege to speak the good news of Jesus Christ into people's lives. We pray, God, that you will fill us with passion and fill us with excitement, even now as we close this service, not as sad-faced, dreary Christians, but as as excited people who understand that we have a God who loves us, a God who goes before us, a God who goes with us, and a God that comes in behind us. God, you love us. You sent your Son to be with us. And in all the events of history, you were there. There's nothing new under the sun for you, God. And you love us. And you didn't send us on this mission to abandon us in it. You sent us on these missions. And you said, I am with you now and always. So God, as we just sing our our voices out to you, just accept this as a gift of praise. Help us to feel convicted to get into small groups. Help us to feel convicted to, to, to cry out to one another and to grow together in fellowship and community. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.